I'm pretty bullish in the sense that I think that that we're going to continue to grow. We're going to attract the right people, but we need to present the trades in a professional way. It can't be seen, you know, as standing in the van and chucking the truck and this whole unprofessional image. And that's what we've tried to create here is a, is a, is a professional image that, that, that people can be proud of and, and that kids can say, yeah, that's where my dad works. I'm proud of that. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you on this new Monday morning. And we are really excited and honored to have our guest on today. One of the owners at the business where Brian and I work, Mr. Matt Buckwater, will be joining us today to talk about his story and the opportunities that he has seen and been granted along the way. Before we jump into that conversation, hold your breath because Brian's got our quote. The door of opportunity will only open when you decide to step outside the door of your own comfort zone. Kylie Francis. All right. All right. Cool. Uh, Yeah. Opportunity is the key word that we're going to be focusing on today. And as we begin our conversation with Matt, uh, what we're going to be exploring is the opportunities that not only were given to him, but that he has in turn turned around and then given to others. It's a really cool story, a really good impact to see somebody go from, yeah, I will call it rags to riches, rags to riches, right, Brian? Yep, close enough. I, uh, Nate and I are are recipients of of uh, Matt and his partner Scott's generosity and and desire to create opportunities around them, um, and they in turn hand that honor to us and and Aaron Buckwalter, the management team, to do the same, and we do. We call it uh, setting up ladders around the building. We we strive constantly to make sure that there are ways for people who are ambitious and driven and and uh, fill all of our four of our core values that they have they have a ladder to climb a way to get out of the, the um, whatever position they're in and keep growing and keep moving up. Yeah, we've talked about the concept before of helping others get what they want, and this is really a, a shoe leather story of that actually happening. Matt's story is not one of just, you know, ease of life and, uh, and the highway being put before him while somebody else drives the car. No, uh, his, his life was not one that was particularly easy. While raised in a good family, uh, he was still given the opportunity and encouraged to have the hard work to actually capitalize on it. And that's something that, uh, you know, we really respect here, kind of a, a self-made man, you might say. Um, and it's something that, you know, we want all of our employees to have the opportunity to do the same themselves, regardless of their background. Opportunity is one of those things that is, is so key because, you know, if you've ever heard the definition of luck before Brian, when preparation meets opportunity, absolutely. 
you know, you'll hear people say, oh, that guy just got lucky or, you know, yeah, man, I wish I had that type of luck. Well, yeah, you know, sometimes opportunities come and go uh, with with uh, the days of life, but it's the preparation for it that makes the difference in so many ways. And the fact of the matter is that we will all be presented with many opportunities over the course of our life and our career. And it's the preparation and our willingness to jump into something and out of that comfort zone that often makes the difference. Right. When we say we um, put ladders up around the building for people who are driven and want to move up and forward in their career, these these are people who are already looking and ready and, and searching for an opportunity to come out of their truck to, I don't know, to, to go from shop tech, from running parts and sweeping to getting into their own truck um, or even to become a supervisor, field supervisor, service manager. So they're already preparing for that. Now we do help and coach and guide people on things that they need to do to more and better prepare for the next step, but they are already looking for that next step. You might say they're seekers of opportunity. Yeah. Preparers. And that is how you always have to be thinking. If you're, if you feel like you're somebody who's destined for greater things than you are now, if you're somebody who feels like you have a calling and, and, you're on your way to something bigger and better than you have to constantly be training for whatever that bigger and better thing is. And, you know, our, our credo, our mantra here at waste no day is, is what are you doing in your downtime and no bigger downtime for a technician than windshield time. When you're just driving around staring at the glass, then this is when you need to do your most, the most, the, the largest part of your training. This is the most free time you'll have in your career can't do it when you're with the customer some people do it when they're actually doing a job by way of having like one earbud in like if if i'm if i was on a dig job or an, an all day you know repipe or under a mobile home or something i actually always did have one earphone in and listening to something off of my phone like a you know like a uh, audiobook or something like that once once those capabilities came about actually what was the uh was it airpod uh, they're currently called AirPods, not AirPods. What was the iPod? That was the original phone without a phone. Yeah. The player. iPod. Yeah. 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 I had an iPod. I remember now keep kept in my shirt pocket, um, doing, doing big jobs and just had my headphones out and one headphone in one of my, one of my ears and listening to audio books while I worked. And I was talking to somebody recently who said, man, it's, it's, I have to listen to the episodes over and over again because I, I don't like, I'm not catching most of it. And I said, well, you could be fair and say that Brian's not catching most of it either. No, I'm trying to do some texting here. (laughs) Were you talking to your Amelia? (laughs) (laughs) But he said, uh, I can't retain Moses. I have to listen over and over to, to catch what I didn't catch the first time. And, and that, whether you listen to something over and over or not, it doesn't matter. Your subconscious is picking that stuff up, which is why I would have it playing all the time. You're, you know, I'd be lost in thought like anybody just, you know, thinking about the next call or, or when I get home or, you know, the weekend or whatever you're thinking about your goals, hopefully, uh, where you're trying to get in your career. Everybody will get lost and kind of tune out and it becomes white noise. But I always felt like even if I wasn't, actively listening to it I was picking stuff up and I remember I would say and do things that I thought that's wow where'd that come from I'm not that profound 
<laughs> That's what you were thinking. <laughs> well, Brian, I'm actually going to go the other direction. You were talking about how if you feel like you have a calling or you're destined for greatness, um, you know, you're the type of person who needs to be preparing for that. I fully agree with you on that, but I think there's equal amount of people out there who, who feel opposite of that. And they feel like they're not destined for greatness or, or they feel lost or they don't have a direction or a calling in their life. And for those people, we, we empathize with you because not all of us have, uh, you know, that clear vision or that clear understanding, but I still believe that there is opportunities to be capitalized on. You just might not have the, the sense of them right now. And it might feel a little uh, confusing about what you're supposed to be focusing on, but improving yourself or improving the skills that you have right now in whatever career you're in right now could have growth potential for you. And if that's not the case, then look around and say, well, what do I really want to do? Where do I want to be focusing on? I know in Matt's story, there was a certain level of that exploration in his own life where he was trying to figure out what is the career type that's going to allow me the lifestyle, both financially and freedom wise, that I want. And then he's decided to pursue that. And if you're feeling like you don't have direction in your life right now, if, if you're feeling like you're a little lackluster on your opportunities right now, realize that's okay. And you're not alone in that. But within that moment, we encourage you to sit down, to take some quiet time, to actually start looking at your future and where you want to go. If opportunities aren't beaten down your door, then Make your own opportunities and go beat down somebody else's door and ask for the job or ask for something new, ask for another challenge. But the way that you do that, that's going to be most effective is by preparing yourself for those types of things. You know, if I want uh, to go lift weights with Brian, you know, I'm not at his level. So I can't just go over and, and start benching 300 pounds like Brian does. I got to prepare myself to even have that conversation and say, yo man, can can I live with you? And in doing so, that's going to take work on my end. And that's kind of where we come back to the waste no day, right? Waste no day, meaning that whatever opportunities that you are pursuing or that are being asked of you right now or offered to you right now, pursue them and pursue the preparation that it takes to capitalize on those opportunities. That's more of what we're going to be talking about today as we put Matt Buckwater in your passenger seat. Our guest today is none other than Matt Buckwalter. He is one of the owners at the Lancaster branch in Pennsylvania of One Hour Heating and Air Conditioning, Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, and Mr. Sparky Electric. Graduating with a degree in psychology from Eastern Mennonite University and also having a bit of athletic uh, heritage in his past at Penn State University, uh, Matt brings a whole new perspective to the trades. I would not call him an insider uh, so to speak. He's more of an outsider bringing in a lot of leadership and visionary perspective into the trades. He has seen his fair share of uh, trade experience with not only working in Lancaster, but also in California in GM positions, install manager positions, and now, of course, as owner and visionary in the company that we work for. Matt has a loving family at home. He has three children and a wife, Kelly, who are uh, the biggest supporters that he has, and he is constantly focusing on what it means to define culture 
not only within the organization that he works, but I believe in so many ways outside of that in the organizations and boards and influences that he has in the circles that he runs. With that, we are so excited to have you on the show, Matt. Welcome. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it. Glad Great to, to finally here. have you on, boss. It's been, uh, it's been what, 10 months now we've been trying to get you on since our first episode. <laughs> You're uh, a tough man to get. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I, I have, uh, I'm proud of the work you guys have done. Uh, I'm proud of Waste No Day podcast. Uh, hey, we get it. You know, you, you're a busy guy. You have to vet your opportunities and want to see if we'd last. Yep. That is not the case. <laughs> we had to get to 10 months before we sign up. <laughs> that is not. Yeah, I wanted to make sure it was successful first. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's it's raving successful. Yeah, absolutely. I can tell. Dozens, now, now that dozens of people agree. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> All of whom work here. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, great guests that you've had before me. So I, uh, I sit in this chair and... Uh, kind of humbled yeah ways, so. yes you yeah. sit in the shadow of greatness that's right <laughs> yeah not not too many of them uh have sat in the chair lately either it's been a lot of, a lot phone, of phone interviews, interviews yeah. so it's been has it been maybe since the crypto episode that i we've think had so it's actual. it's exciting to have somebody in our studio oh that's good yeah. well it's good to be here it's somebody to, to stare at besides nate for <laughs> once that's yeah nice. absolutely that's right I, I sit in this studio, you know, a lot during the course of the week or you know when i when i come in here but uh it's it's good to to have some headphones on. And yeah, now you got the mic in your face, right? the mic in my face, exactly. <laughs> For all six of the listeners who don't work here, as Nate would say, <laughs> uh, the studio is also also uh, subs as Brian Burton's office. So yeah. Matt spends some time in here. Love it. Love yeah. it. I, I think at this point, uh, that is the way, the correct phrasing of it. The studio works as your office. It used to be your office works as the studio, yeah, but true. we've now surpassed that's, what you do. Yeah, that's pretty true. That's what 10 months will do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, it's good to have you on, man. And obviously we've had a long working relationship, so I know a lot of your story, but mm. for the sake of our listeners, uh, we want to dig in and we want to hear who you are and what you're all about and how uh, the, the life events and the ups and downs of what you've gone through uh, in your many years of not only life experience, but in the trades business, how all that has developed you and involved you into the person that you've become mm. today. Um, and so much of that is, is wrapped up in not only the foresight and the vision that you have, but also the execution of it. Because it's one thing to be the dreamer and have the great ideas. It's another thing to actually capitalize on that momentum and take it into something that has shoe leather. And you have done that in so many ways not just in this business, but across different vectors of your life, that's, that's who you are. And so we want to kind of get at the root of that and understand more about what it is that has created the Matt Buckwalter mm. that we see today. So if you'd be so kind to kind of uh, start wherever you think it's appropriate uh, to begin that story for us. Well, um, you know, I'm the, uh, I'm the firstborn uh, of three. Uh, I think my brother was one of the first guests on this podcast. The who, first guest. The first yeah. guest yeah. who uh, is six years younger than I am. Uh, and actually, I think my sister was on this podcast too. About 20 years more immature, too, okay. I'll point out. That's my brother, brother that is. Not the sister. My, yeah. yeah, my yeah, sister yeah. is way more mature than he and I. We love so, you, Rachel. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I, I'm fortunate, I, I will say, to, to be able to work with my siblings in a way that I have a tremendous amount of respect for each one of them. And, and the gifts that they have and, and what they bring to our business here. But, uh, you know, my story obviously starts, uh, I was born in 1973. Um, 
with a silver spoon in your hand? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I I was not born in, with a silver spoon in my hand, but uh, my dad uh, met my mother. I understand at the uh, at a local swimming pool and uh, fell in love love at first sight. Apparently, um, and uh, I heard it was a yellow bikini that did it for him. Oh, but, okay, uh, gotcha. Yeah, I don't know if he's listening to this, but uh, anyway. Um, I was, and, and they were really from two different worlds. Uh, my my dad was the son of a Mennonite deacon. Uh, my my mom uh, was the oldest of ten in a Catholic family that uh, grew up on uh, Cabbage Hill, which is an area in, in Lancaster that's that's close by here. And uh, they uh, they got together, and I was the result of that. Um, so fast forward, uh, it was it was very interesting to have those two worlds kind of come together and, and, uh, create for me, a, a unique background and perspective. But, uh, I always, I always felt that, um, I, I always enjoyed leading. I always enjoyed being a part of, uh, of athletic teams. Uh, I did, I was a, a four sport varsity athlete in high school. I think I still hold the most amount of varsity letters earned at uh, my high school, which is 13. Nice. It's just kind of wow. interesting. Um, and then, uh, went on to Penn state, uh, to run track. I was a decathlete there, a state champion in high school in the pole vault was a sprinter. So, um, I had a little unfortunate event my senior year at Penn relays. I fractured uh, my fifth lumbar vertebrae in my back, which, which was a big setback for me. And it kind of, uh, it kind of created some, some challenges going into Penn state and, uh, there was some recovery that was that was pretty difficult, but I was I was immobilized for about six or seven months mm. in a in a brace, so so that that uh, fracture could heal. And uh, what I realized is that you know uh, at that moment that uh, well, there's there's more to life than just sport. But yeah. in addition to that, you know, being able to move and taking care of your body was also pretty important to me. So. Uh, uh, competed at Penn State for two years um, in in track was great great I mean it pushed me to a to a level that that I was uh, um, not used to certainly in high school I was you know I was I was a big fish in a small pond in the state of Pennsylvania you go to Penn State and you compete in the Big Ten and you realize pretty quickly that you're a small fish in a pretty big pond <laughs> right um, which was good I I. Uh, and then my the end of my sophomore year, I transferred to Eastern Mennonite University, which is where my degree's from, and that was a total shift. I was what I realized at that time is I was kind of burnt out with with athletics. I was burnt out with uh, sports at a high level. I uh, wasn't doing real great in school. Uh, probably doing a little bit more partying than what I should have been doing. I uh, didn't have my my priorities right, and uh, made a made a. Sometimes you just have to make a a shift, a right. scene shift, and that's what it was for me. And uh, I enjoyed immensely uh, my time uh, down in Virginia and uh, ended up getting a degree in psychology and um, was the best decision I made. So I, uh, you know, thinking about, you know, fast forwarding, one of the things that I realized that I wanted to do um, is I wanted to, to lead an organization and ultimately as I have observed others that were successful and interviewed a lot of different people after graduation and just kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I figured out pretty quickly that um, business owners have pretty cool opportunities in life. There's a lot of risk, but you kind of set your own destiny. You kind of uh, can chart your own course. You're, 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 
it sounds cliche to say you're your own boss, but you're essentially your own boss. Right. And uh, I, uh, and nobody's nobody's telling you you make too much money. Nobody's telling you that you don't work hard enough. Nobody's telling you you work too, you're working too hard. Um, and I I found that I was you know through all of those years of sport, a lot of my sports were individual. Uh, I mean, track certainly is that, and uh, pole vaulting certainly is that. So you understand what it is to manage and, and to discipline yourself in ways that transferred very well to to, to business life. And I, But I, I wasn't sure, I didn't have any money. I wasn't sure really how to create a, an opportunity uh, for myself. So what I realized is that selling, you know, being a, a comfort advisor in our world, was about as close to owning your own business as what I could find. You, uh, it's commission only. Uh, the good thing is that, and the thing I liked is I didn't have to generate my own leads. I was given opportunities, but I could go out and I could work as hard as I want and achieve that whatever level of success I thought I could do. And, uh, it was a great, great opportunity for me. So that's, uh, that's when I met Larry Rohr. Uh, we actually moved Kelly and my wife, Kelly and I, moved into uh, a home in Landisville and uh, just so happened that Larry uh, and Kara Rohr owned that home. Mm. And uh, we were renting from them at the time because we weren't sure where we wanted to live. So we figured we'll rent for a year and they just happened to own the home. And I was entertaining a, entertaining a couple different offers uh, for employment and it became apparent that um, I was not uh, really intrigued by any of those things. And Larry's like, well, during the interview process, he said, well, what exactly do you do for work? I said, well, I don't have a job. And that was the interview process to rent. To rent, correct. Yeah, right. to, to, to rent the house. And uh, he's like, um, well, maybe you should come and work for me. <laughs> and I said, uh, okay, tell me about that. And so that he said, well, come and meet me the next day and we'll talk about it. So... That was a Tuesday. We met on a Wednesday. And by the end of the day, I said, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. Hmm. And my only criteria was I just needed an opportunity where I could make a hundred thousand dollars a year because I figured that that was enough money for me to be able to, uh, live a lifestyle I wanted back then. And that this was like, you know, 2000, uh, but also that my wife and we were, we were kind of wanted to amass a down payment to buy a house we wanted to start a family, uh, and we felt that it was important to us that she be able to stay home and and to raise the kids. And I thought that was a number for me that was a good number to make that work. Well, the first year I made ninety six thousand, full commission salesperson selling HVAC equipment. Selling HVAC equipment, uh, you know, five forty five hundred five thousand dollar average ticket across the table. I mean, the average tickets today are you know ten to twelve thousand dollars. You know, put it in perspective, but. Um, I, uh, I was super stoked and I was hooked. I mean, it was, it created for me an opportunity to be able to have the flexibility I needed, uh, to take care of the things I was able to pay down all of my college debt that I had amassed when I transferred, you know, to a private university, I was able to take care of my wife's college debt and we were able to start, uh, a, a fund to, to buy or for, for a down payment on a house, all of which I was able to take care of in that one year. Yeah. Because, you know, prior to that, I think I was making like 25,000 bucks, 30,000 bucks <laughs> a year. So it was, it was nice to be able to have that opportunity. And I, I am forever grateful for that. But Larry, for me, was what's much more than just a boss. He was a mentor. He was somebody that took an interest in me 
and uh, and showed a, a a level of care and interest in me and invested in me. Um, and that is what I think is even more valuable than the money that uh, that he uh, provided me when, in terms of a job. I mean, I needed the money, but you know, he he believed in me. Um, he believed in in uh, in you know in my skills. He he invested to develop them. Uh, I mean, one of the things that we send all of our our uh, sales members th- uh, team through here and and our managers is the Sandler the Sandler sales training process. Um, he invested in that for me, and that was the very first thing that that for me it clicked about. Uh, hey, this is this is really how a, a high quality sales process works and what it looks like. Um, and over the, I mean, I, I'm convinced that uh, that selling system over the last 20 years of my my life has paid me tens of millions of dollars. I mean, it's that it, it's been that impactful in my life, and um, it 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 really kind of sets the framework for how we approach selling here as an organization in our business. Um, so, but he Larry made that happen for me, and. Uh, you know, fast forward, I mean, I had a lot of success in selling, um, in 2004, 2005, uh, actually prior to that, I, I, it's funny because there was a post the other day, uh, about the, uh, crown champion, crown champion ring. So I own ring 007, which <laughs> uh, cool. is the very first ring by a salesperson. If you look at the previous six, they were not, uh, they were either managers, you know, it was. John Young, Jim Abrams, Terry Nicholson, yes. Yeah, um, Tom Hopkins was got one of those. Um, who else was on that list? I mean, we can we can pull it and find. More importantly, I was number seven, which was the first one. <laughs> so, Matt, I mean, I want to kind of pause you there as as we explore the origin story, you might yeah. say, of uh, of where you are today, because I think there's a lot of things to unpack there. Uh, so much of who we are is shaped in our our growing up years and our young adult years that really sets course for who we will become uh, as we mature. And so as if you can, as you look back across, you know, kind of your upbringing, your collegiate years and those types of things that, that shaped and formed you into who you are today, can you identify any moments, any, any of those like, you know, why in the road type moments where you chose this way and it, it led to the outcome that we see? Yeah. Well, there, so there's a couple. I mean, um, one of them is uh, I, you know, and it, it's it's usually around educational institutions. So very interestingly, I my kindergarten through eighth grade year, I, w- I went to a private Mennonite school, which uh, was a wonderful place to go to to school. I had great teachers. I had awful teachers in that school. But I, I, all in all, it was a, it was an environment that I felt safe in. It, it allowed me to grow. Um, it, I think, at some level, it pushed me academically. But I wasn't really concerned about that, you know, in elementary school. And then, uh, and and through junior high, I was there till eighth grade. And then I transferred to to a public high school in in ninth grade, which was uh, a much bigger school. And for me, it was kind of like this opportunity to uh, just to to spread my wings and, and try different things. And that's when I discovered, uh, I was involved in student leadership. I was, you know, president of student council, class president, did all of that stuff. And I realized something in, in high school is that people have a strong desire to be led. Mm. And that's when I, 
and and you know, there's always, I mean, there's there's vacuums that exist, and and the reality is that people are are looking for somebody to step into that role to lead, and uh, that was a pretty profound understanding for me because I always I always enjoyed leading, but you know, as as an elementary kid, you don't want to be per- perceived maybe in some uh, as that pushy bully, you know, kid that forces his way in the lead. But when, what I discovered in high school is that people actually have a desire to be led and good leadership is so necessary. Um, I'm not saying I was a great leader in high school, but I, but the understanding of that concept and the investing that happened thereafter to develop that in myself is something that I took pretty seriously in terms of the books that I read um, you know, my, my college years, uh, going to Penn state had a great time, met a lot of great people. Um, but I kind of got off track, you know, in some ways. And, and when I went to Eastern Mennonite university, I was able to focus in on, it was a much smaller school. Uh, I, I was concentrated on some wonderful, fabulous relationships that I made there, but it really, again, focused on, Hey, it's time to get serious about what it is that you want to do all of the time through, through college, what the other thing is that created in me is I had to, I didn't have much. So I had, I was, I was doing more with less because I had to, I didn't have a choice. I mean, I remember the, you know, when I was living on, I could, I could, I could make 10 to 15 bucks a week work for me. You know, I'd put, I'd have a, an old Volkswagen rabbit diesel that I'd put $5 worth of diesel fuel in and it would get me through the week (laughs) You know, and I could uh, I could live on a whole lot less. I mean, um, my world is a little different now, but uh, <laughs> you spent fifteen dollars on that coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't take long to rip through fifteen bucks, but on the same token, I think it shapes kind of how I how I view life. And I think as my kids are growing up very differently than I grew up, but I think that I can, that doesn't mean that they can't learn the value of a dollar doesn't mean that they can't understand the value of hard work. They're all athletes. Uh, my son is a division one soccer player. My daughter will play division one field hockey in the fall. And for them, the, the, the hard work was, was developed and understood to get to that level. I mean, you just don't get to, uh, my, my daughter, uh, you know, will play uh, big 10 field hockey in the uh, next fall. And that, that's that's some of the highest level field hockey in the in the country, and you don't get there by not working hard. And I've seen the the hard work that she's done. So many of those experiences, and same with my son. I mean, in soccer, you know, um, to get to the to the Division One level, uh, the the dedication that he had to put through in the development academy in high high school was, I mean, he was tr- he was training every every day of the week to get to where he was. So they've. Those, those things for them were kind of the same for me in terms of those defining moments. I never focused that much on one thing. My, my focus was over a broad range of activities. But what I realized is that when I, when I got through college and I figured out what I wanted to do, this area was the area that I put my focus in. And I, and heating and air conditioning was just a vehicle, but I, what I'm saying leadership, it was for me, my, uh, I, after I graduated from, from, uh, college and I thought about what is it that gets your, 
get your juices flowing? What is the thing that you're most excited about? And I think the thing that gets me most excited is looking at what, how can I create opportunities for others? That's the thing. So I tend to be a connector of people. I like to bring people together. But the other, the other piece of it is, is how can I create opportunities for, for others? Not only for, you know, my management team that I work with, but also with um, the group of technicians that we have, our, you know, our office staff, all of those individuals uh, are, are, you know, are recipients of opportunities that we've created here at our organization. And that's what gets me excited. So that's, you know, so as we sit back and we look at, hey, the last 20 years as we've grown from 25 people to 100, and as we look ahead to what does 250 look like, what does 500 look like, as we're <clears throat> strategic in terms of looking at the future, um, that's the thing that I get most excited about. And it would, it's, it's the thing that drove me from, hey, I wanted to be a comfort advisor and do selling in the home to... Uh, how can I create a business opportunity and that will provide opportunity for others? So Matt, it sounds to me like at even a, a fairly young age, you were already aspiring to leadership or it at least had an interest in your life that was above average, that you were pursuing those types of things. You said you were reading books, you were pursuing that type of knowledge and you were, um, shall we say, drawn to it. I was, I mean, yeah, I really was. I mean, and in, in, in some ways I think it was the product of being a firstborn. And I think in addition to that, both of my parents were firstborn. So my mom was the oldest of 10. My dad was the oldest of five. It's a lot of genes working for it's you. It's a lot of genes. And I, and I don't, I don't want to, I know there's a lot of, you know, science and research that's around birth order. And I, I don't want to go into that, but, um, it's very rare that two firstborns get married <laughs> and, and there's going to be fireworks. <laughs> and, there, and, and I, and I, and, and there was, and, and there is, I mean, it's not a, but, but I, it's very interesting that, uh, that, that, I, that I'm, that, that I'm the product of those two firstborns. So I, I think, uh, I think there is, you know, and I, I think I've, I've used this term. I mean, I think there's, there's been an anointing on my life of, of leadership and in my journey that, that I could either choose to embrace or choose to run away from. I've chose to embrace it mm. and it's not without its hardships and its challenges, but you know what? It's proven to be very rewarding and, um, it's awesome to, uh, to see, uh, you know, how people when given opportunities step up. I mean, uh, and, and honestly, I, I, I think both of you are great examples of that. Uh, and you know, it's, we, we all have a journey and a, and a, and a story to tell. And I, I'm just, I'm super excited to see how we've all kind of walked along this journey and what that, uh, what that looks like for each one of us. And speaking of walking along the journey, Matt, we kind of took a pause there as you were ready to set sail and head uh, to the great Western California state. So if we could jump back into that and, and picking up kind of where we left off there, you had, you had stepped into the trades in, shall we say a, a fortunate meeting with an owner of a local HVAC company and plumbing company uh, who gave you that opportunity. Um, and you worked with Larry for a couple years and then decided it was, it was time to move 
to greener pastures or, or what was the calling to California? So what the calling to California was is I, I, I think at that moment in time, I had, I had made a determination that probably the next step for me uh, in, in my journey was to try to figure out how could I <clears throat> become a business owner or uh, have a little bit more. What I re- re- realized is after selling for that many years, I probably uh, had reached my peak in terms of, of income potential, just based on the fact that I couldn't work any harder than what I was doing. And, you know, as a full commission salesperson, um, you have a limited amount of time. And I had to try to figure out how could I get people working for me to maximize my time, uh, quite frankly. And it was about the same time that Larry, uh, Larry was trying to understand what the best succession plan uh, for him was for his family. And it became apparent that maybe at that time the best plan was to sell the business. Uh, so he had, uh, he had planned to roll it up as a part of a, you know, an initial public offering and uh, to uh, Clockwork, which was the owners of the brands at the time, uh, the one-hour Ben Franklin brand. It became pretty apparent to me that uh, the opportunity that I had here was, was limited if he was going to do that. Uh, he, Scott was going to stay on and serve as general manager of the business. And, uh, and Scott is your business partner and correct. Larry's son. Yes. It's Scott is business partner and Larry's son. And, um, so there was an opportunity for me The the franchise had an opportunity for me in Culver city, California at continental, uh, heating and cooling, which then became continental one hour heating and air conditioning. Uh, and I went out there, uh, I was ambitious. I was excited. I was naive, um, and uh, moved my family out to. Uh, we lived in the Pacific Palisades and and went to work in California. That was probably one of the best learning lessons of my life, and it was an absolute failure. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, and and you know, the the interesting thing was is. And I won't go into all the details, but I, I will say that uh, I think that uh, the franchise owned that business for three or four years. There were 17 GMs in that business since wow. they owned it. I was the first one, and I was there for about nine months. So wow. that gives you an idea of, I mean, there was there was a bunch of challenges, and uh, and I it, it was, but it was the best learning lesson, you know, in terms of. Uh, of, of a business lesson that I could learn. I mean, well, so many times the, the failures in our life are actually the bigger pieces of our story in driving the next, yes, the next iteration of ourselves than the successes, right? Yes. Yes. It was. And that's exactly what it was. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, there, there, as, as David Sandler always said, there's, there's no, you know, failures or there's no, uh, but there's only lessons learned, mm-hmm. and and that was a lesson learned. And I learned a lot about myself. I learned about a lot, a lot about how I handle stress and pressure. Uh, came back with an ulcer, which was a, <laughs> which was a challenge, and I didn't even realize that. Uh, didn't even know what an ulcer was, but uh, um, it was. Uh, it's California is a beautiful, beautiful place, um, and the opportunities are limited. But the the bigger thing that I took away from that is I needed to build a team and I needed to build my team and I didn't have my team in place. And, uh, when I was out there and it was a big challenge, I mean, there was a lot of 
a lot of challenges that I'm not sure that having the right team would have got through, but it would have made it easier. And so when I came and at the same time, you know, um, Larry and Scott were gracious and invited me to come back and, uh, uh, gave me the opportunity to buy a small piece of the business, um, which was setting up for a future opportunity when Larry wanted to, to move on for Scott and I to, to buy him out. Um, but so there was such a blessing in that, that, and there was such a great amount of learning that happened in the course of that year that prepared me for the next step of my leadership journey. And I wasn't, I wasn't really aware of what that would end up being at the time. It's only in retrospect that I, that I find that how valuable that time was extraordinarily painful. I mean, it was painful. So, um, but it, it taught me a lot of wonderful lessons. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that California was great. Um, love hearing the stories about, you know, uh, service champions and what they're doing out there. And I watched them from, uh, from afar and, and, uh, we weren't, we weren't too far away, but there's a lot of great operators in California and it's a, it's a wonderful place. It just wasn't, we just didn't have a lot of success at Continental. <laughs> <laughs> so you've, you returned to Pennsylvania with the opportunity for what I would imagine was the next step in your career and really not only in just ownership, uh, building the team, leadership, all those types of things, as well as financial opportunity. And so in, in making that move and coming, you know, you might say coming back home, what was some of those lessons that you had learned? Like what, what was one or two of the biggest things that you brought back from the West Coast into this new, uh, this new version of who you were going to be? So the, the biggest thing that I had to get my brain around is I was offered a job when I came back for, uh, as a service manager. So, uh, which was kind of interesting because I, I, that was what I was offered, you know, by Larry to come back and, uh, and it's, it's an area of the business that they needed that we here needed some help in. And so, and I'll never forget this. I, I think the salary of that job was 75,000 bucks a year. Yeah. And I step back from GM, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I think my, uh, my comp, my comp plan the year before was over 300. Wow. So now I will say this living in Lancaster is less expensive <laughs> yeah. than living in California. <laughs> However, <laughs> however, um, it's not that less expensive. Yeah, right. So, um, but you know what? I was, I was confident in the opportunity. I knew that, uh, this too shall pass, uh, in terms of what it was. And, um, we, we were determined to be profitable in that sector of the business and turned that around. And, uh, yeah, that, di that didn't last long. Uh, but it was, what it, what it did for me is as we do with many of our managers, you know, we are, we are, uh, we pay based on performance. So we don't believe in large inflated salaries. We, we believe in paying somebody for a job well done and paying them well for that. And that kind of started. So I had to live that out and I know what that's like to be able to have to you know, to perform and to, to budget that first year to make sure that it worked. And my wife was just like, we're going to do what? I had some money tucked away. That was fine. But we had to be serious about how we spent our money and how we utilized our money. And I, I look back on that year as just a, 
a wonderful year of, how should I say this? There's a lot of pride in that year because of, of that transition. That's a massive adjustment. And, and I, 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 I say to this day, if I had to do it again, I could do it again. I mean, it would be on a, be on a different scale, no doubt. But you know, it was, it was not, uh, it was not a problem for me to do that when I understood what was, what, what was ahead. And, um, that was a, that was a big, that was a big deal. Um, so we, I, I came back as a service manager. Uh, we were having some challenges in our service department, uh, made some changes. And I want to say that I, I'd love to be able to say that it was like a magic bullet and everything hummed. And I mean, it, that was a, that was a whole major shift in terms of how we go to market and do business. We were not doing well at offering customer options. We did, we had a lot of old school technicians that were uh, negative in terms of their, I say negative, meaning their attitudes were such that this won't work. You know, customers aren't going to be interested in these things. And we had to move through that. Um, we, uh, and we did, and we did. Um, and then from there, I, we, we had some challenges in install. So I served as install manager for a little bit which was a great lesson to be learned for me. So what I was doing over that time is I was, I was learning the ins and outs of our business because I'm not a technical person. I wasn't, uh, I had to force myself to learn that stuff. And it was extraordinarily valuable and very, very rewarding for me to do that. Very different than uh, what I uh, would have thought. I mean, it was, it was a, a full uh, MBA program in, in the HVAC plumbing electrical business over the course of about three or four years. Yeah, school every, of hard knocks. Uh, the, school of, <laughs> the school of hard knocks. And I will say, you know, the other thing that me going to California gave was the opportunity for my brother, Aaron. He stepped into my role as sales guy when I left. And that was a great opportunity for him to get integrated in our business. So one more blessing one more blessing that came out of that pretty challenging situation. Right. So fast forwarding a little bit there, obviously Larry, uh, Larry did step out of the business then uh, on a, a retirement basis yep. and you and Scott formed uh, what we see now, which is the current partnership yeah. uh, that you and he exist in. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, a little bit ago, we did a podcast about traction and the yep. EOS system. We had Gino, uh, not Gina Wickman, but his co-author, Mike, Mike Payton. Payton, on with us. Yep. And uh, in that system, it identifies two different types of leaders that are often found in organizations. One of those is known as the integrator, which is somebody who kind of takes all the wild ideas and, and, and puts them into actual you know, paper and process and, and carries them out, executes them. In the podcast, it talked about keeping the trains running on time. Yep. The other one is the visionary, uh, which is, like I said, the person with the big ideas who who is looking towards uh, the future, who's always concerned about culture, which direction are we going? Why are we going there? How can we talk about this to our people? And as you and Scott developed that relationship, it, it kind of took on a natural um, fulfillment of those rules, those roles where Scott was filling in as the integrator and you were filling in as the visionary. Talk a little bit about how that fulfillment of the visionary was established throughout all those years of, of, 
of leadership training and, and, and looking for those things and studying in that area and learning all those lessons to the visionary that you've become today? Yeah. Um, you know, that's a great, that's a great question. There's a lot, uh, there's a lot there. Yeah. I, I, I truly feel that when Scott and I hit our stride was really when we discovered those two roles. Right. Um, and it was, um, you know, Scott is an incredibly gifted integrator. In fact, probably one of the best integrators that, that I've ever come across in terms of just how he looks at stuff. And it, it's, uh, and where, where, um, where he, you know, lacks in certain areas, I fill in. And where I lack in certain areas, he fills in. So it's that complimentary. It's, it's extraordinarily complimentary. Um, you know, what, what along the way, um, it, it's interesting because, you know, I, my, our, our, our vision of, and our, how we, how we view leadership is oftentimes shaped around what our giftings are. And I think one of the things that I've, I've always been gifted is I can, I can look into, uh, I don't want to say it's, it's not like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fortune telling, but I can look into the future and I can see, I think I can see trends. I can understand, uh, things that, that potentially happen because one of the things that I think that I'm better at than most is I have, uh, a reasonably high le level of EQ. So I, I, I understand, you know, cues of, as people, as I interact with people, you know, maybe understanding more of the things that are unspoken than maybe those things that are spoken. And I think that, so I, I always, those are the things that are unseen, which are oftentimes the things that are the most important. And so as I've, as I develop that in terms of my own skill and, and visionary, it's not, it's not something that I spend a lot of time developing. It's just intuitively how I view the world. And, uh, the, the, the visionary, you know, oftentimes, uh, businesses, it's rare that they have both a visionary and an integrator together. And some of the most successful businesses that you'll see are, do share those complementary roles in individuals because they're so very different from one another. Um, I think for, for me, you know, in, in terms of developing, I've never been happy with the status quo. Maybe that goes back to my competitive days as an athlete. I always wanted to achieve at the highest level and push myself, say, what could it take to get there? Um, and I think that's, we do that in our business, right? We, we think about what is it going to take to achieve at the high level in our business and how are we going to, how are we going to move ourselves to the next level? So yeah, we, we've achieved the highest, you know, uh, re, uh, top line revenue number that we've ever done. Well, how are we going to eclipse that by five, 10, 15, 20% next year? What it's, what's it going to take to do that? And I think, um, it takes a focus on the micro stuff, which is what the integrator does and, and the attention to detail around average ticket around just behavior based stuff to be able to achieve. And those little things add up. I mean, I, I remember back when I was selling and I, and at the end of the year, I'd say, well, okay, I want to sell $1.2 million of replacement. Well, I would divide that down to a, a daily number, which was manageable. I mean, you look at that number and say, and every day hold myself to account 
to that number. And if I missed it, I knew that I'd have to outperform it the day after to make it up. And those, uh, it's no different in terms of, you know, athletic performance. What you'll find is that you may achieve something and then you may fall short, but sooner or later you, as you chart it and you, and you, and you monitor it, you will start achieving it more often. And then the margin of overage that you achieve it at becomes greater and greater and greater. Uh, big golfer. I like to play a lot of golf and your, your handicap index is one of the best ways to chart your, you know, your success. But when you start looking at, um, I was thinking about, I started playing golf seriously again back in 2015 and my index was around a 13 as I got back in to start starting to play. And I remember the, the course that I play out or the club that I play out of, uh, I remember, you know, one day I shot a 77. I was just like, yeah, that's awesome. Well, now a 77 is a bad round for me. <laughs> and, you know, my index is at a three, which is, um, I think the lowest has been, it's it, way back when I was younger was a two five, but it got back down to a three. And now it's, you know, it, it's interesting to chart that stuff and to see how, how can you get to a, to a certain place. I mean, 2015, when I started playing golf again, I was like at a 13, a three was something I couldn't even really think right, about. Right. But, um, so I think, uh, all of those, uh, athletics were really the thing that pushed me and kind of always kept my vision out ahead of me of, of where we're going. Cause right. that's what it takes to, to be, you know, a great athlete. You always have to be looking ahead because the minute you stop, you know, achieving, at the next level is the minute that you get kind of passed by. So I think you do have one of those natural abilities to look into the future. You said you're not, you know, you're not a, a fortune teller, but you do have an ability to look and see things that are unseen and kind of relating the relationship of integrator and visionary as art and science, mm -hmm. right? So I would look at Scott as the integrator and say, he's a very scientific minded person. He looks at data. He looks at numbers. He understands formulas and those types of things that drive uh, you know, the, the ins and outs of how the machine works. And I look at you as more of a, a composer, right? You, you, you open up a blank sheet of paper and you just starting write, you start writing notes down and, and like, where are they coming from? Well, there's no scientific reason. It's just what you think is going to sound good in the harmonies and melodies. And yet the relationship between the two, you know, I would look at Scott and say, there's a guy who could probably build an instrument. Like he could actually construct it and, and make it work. And you're the guy who can compose the music that will be played upon that instrument and that relationship that works together is where, or where we get beautiful music, right? That visionary component that you hold, do you believe that that was inherent to you from essentially birth? Or do you think that was something that was coached and developed along the way? That's a great question. Uh, honestly, I think a lot of it was um, probably inherent. Uh, so... I have some specific, I, I certainly have specific gifts, but I think then I was, that was nurtured in me as I was growing up. I mean, I think that there was always a clear sense uh, from, you know, my, I think from my mom at an early age that <clears throat> I would have a tremendous amount of, of opportunity to lead. And so she always spoke that into me. Um, I, I think it's where, so this, this nature nurture thing is 
the in in the in the space of you know big picture versus small picture i'm far more comfortable far more comfortable in looking at the big picture i'm far more comfortable in the macro space so that's my area of comfort can i do the micro stuff and it's interesting that that you talk about it this way because i had to do it when i was operating as a service manager there's a lot of detail that's required in that there's a lot of you know, planning and thinking. Same with install. It's putting stuff together. So I was able to operate and function in that space, but it wasn't the natural space that I find the the greatest amount of enjoyment and freedom and flexibility. So I think any great leader will have to kind of juggle both of those worlds, but there is no question that I think uh, that I was born with a desire to exist in the macro, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, uh, that makes perfect sense yeah, to me, Bob. <laughs> okay, <all right. laughs> but I, I think that that doesn't have to be an excuse, and and it shouldn't be an excuse, you know, for leaders. You can't just say, "Well, that's just not my thing." I mean, you have to create uh, uh, mechanisms by which that you can exist in both of those spaces. But where you exist naturally and what you feel like you like to do naturally is where you'll have the most level of fulfillment. I mean, honestly, Nate, uh, work doesn't feel like work to me. You know, I, I don't, people talk about wanting to retire and do this. You know, I hope that I, I mean, I have, I have some plans and some, some things that are out in front, but I, again, if, if my, if my reason that I exist in life is to create opportunities for others, I can do that until the day they put me in the ground. Uh, and, and, it, and even then you've created opportunity for six then, people. That's right. And then even <laughs> then I've created more opportunity. Exactly. But I mean, the, the reality is if that is what I feel like, that's what I've been created to do. And if that's what I've been created to do, I mean, I've just had the fortunate opportunity to be surrounded with a great team that I work with here. And, and believe it or not, I get paid to do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. And so, you know, as I think about, you know, going forward and I mean the, the future. And as we look at the future, I, I can't, I mean, I can think about what that looks like and I have a good vision of that in my brain, but I just think we're scratching the surface in terms of what opportunities are available out there uh, for people, not only in our business here locally, but in our trade and in, in other endeavors that we may choose to, to embark on. Um, but I, I think that is what, motivates that's what motivates me and everything else if if that if you can do that i mean um it, it was uh, it was it zig ziglar that said uh you know if, and, and this that's the the age old thing if you can you know help enough people get what they want they in turn will help you get what what it is that you want and i think there's uh there's a lot of truth in that um and that is uh that is, I don't want to say that that's the mantra of my life because, but in, in that, it's another way to talk about creating opportunity for people. Um, and that's because at the end of the day, you can't take the money with you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, and, and you can, you can leave it to a bunch of great organizations. Kelly and I are involved in a bunch of great organizations that do a lot of great work, but it's the relationship and it's the people that you meet along the way that make the, the journey worth worth traveling. And I've been fortunate enough to surround myself with great mentors, uh, and, and great, you know, coworkers 
and um, and people that have helped me along the way. And, and that's that's uh, that's what I hope to leave in terms of a legacy. I love that. And I can hear the passion in your voice. I can see the animation in your body as you talk yeah. about that, because it's it's more than just a, a nine to five. It's more than just the paycheck. It's sure. it's a it's a calling, really. Yep. You're living in that fulfillment. And interestingly enough, we talked about it on the podcast before, but at our organization here where Brian and I work, our core purpose is providing high dollar opportunities for yep. our team. And, and that came out of an evolution of thought to get to that point. I mean, we originally started off with like, yeah, we want to be the, the best HVAC company in our neighborhood and that type right. of stuff. And, and we realized over the course of time that that's not really what we're trying to do. I mean, it's a byproduct of yep. what happens. But if we can continue to provide opportunities for our team, so much of that will just take place on its own. And yep. we don't have to focus on it if we continue focusing on opportunities. So, Matt, in, in that passion in that focus that you have been such a big part of driving and shaping as you look now at our organization locally and the trades as a whole, where do you see the vision of where the industry is going, where our organization is going, where our team is going? Uh, so I, I'll just think about our trades. I mean, our there, we will continue. I say we, I mean, we as a society will continue to <clears throat> place more and more value upon individuals that are in the trades and that are trades people. There is no better time for somebody to get in the trades than right now. I mean, there is, there is such a lack of quality individuals that have chosen to make their profession in our, in our world. The opportunity is, is tremendous. Um, as I talk to, uh, and, and, and so I think, I think what will happen, what will need to happen is there needs to be and there will continue to be a professionalization of our trades in a way that will be that I think can really approach the level of any other profession that we have. I mean, you hear people talk about doctors and lawyers and all of these professions, but the trades are, are pacing in terms of income opportunity and profession. Uh, potential. I mean, there's outliers on, on all of those things, but as, as the rank and file, you know, plumbers today are getting paid as well as attorneys and primary care physicians are. Blue collar is the new white collar, baby. It is. I mean, and, and so I think as, and that will only continue because there is, uh, there is, and, and it, it requires, I mean, we're, we're living in this time where we're having some challenges with labor shortages. And I think it's, it's for, it's for a variety of reasons. I think not the least of which is that there's been pumped into our economy, such a glut of money to do nothing that that's got to cycle its way through. And then people are realize, Oh, I actually have to do something to make, uh, to, to make a living. Um, and, and so that, that, that is just, this is a little blip and I think it'll pass, but I think big picture as we continue at companies such as ours and the many others like us that are across the country will continue to put a, such a professional <clears throat> bent and a professional polish on our trades that it's going to attract uh, a larger swath of people to it. Listen, at the end of the day, it's still hard work and it's still, uh, you know, sometimes can be a little messy, but there is no greater way to make money and, and what we're doing. And really 
without I think I think this this next generation of individuals that are coming up are going to be more debt adverse than perhaps what they were in the past. So it's a great opportunity to not get into college debt and and to create a great lifestyle and and uh, income for for a family that you can really support if it's a it's a it's a it's a wage that can support a family. So I think I'm pretty bullish in the sense that I think that that we're going to continue to grow, we're going to attract the right people, but we need to present the trades in a professional way. It can't be seen, you know, as standing in the van and chucking the truck and and uh, you know, this whole unprofessional image. And that's what we've tried to create here is a is a is a professional image that, you know, that that people can be proud of and and that kids can say, yeah, that's where my dad works. I'm proud of that. You know, that's, he's a part of that organization as we get, you know, and as we start to market more and our brand becomes much more of a household name that people, people say, yeah, I know so-and-so that works there. And, and it's, it's a great company. It's about image. It's about reputation. It's about how we present ourselves, not only when we're in the truck, but when we're, when we're out in the community uh, as, as citizens and people of the community. Um, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm really op, I'm really optimistic about what we have done here, but more, more specifically about what the trades are, are doing across the country, because there is a lot of professional trades people out there that are proud of what they do, that present very well, that are clean, respectful, um, smell great. Right. And, and all do all of those things that, uh, what a professional will do. Absolutely. Now, Matt, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about culture with you. Uh, you're one of the biggest culture shapers that I know or have come across and, uh, your vision and the things that have shaped you over the years of your experience have done such incredible things in defining what a company culture should be. Um, I don't know that we have time to go it, you know, I think we'll invite you back for another time to talk yeah. about the core values in depth, but sure. that's certainly part of it. What other things have you felt to be the biggest pieces of what a culture means to an organization and how you define it? Well, I think a culture, you know, culture is certainly, uh, as it's, it's defined in an organization has to be, it, it can't be just some things on a wall that people read and see. It has to be lived and it has to be breathed. It has to be experienced. And that just doesn't happen by accident. I think the leadership needs to embrace it. Um, I think it's easy, you know, at, at some at some point, you know, we have the benefit when we created, you know, our core values as a, as a team. And Nate, you were involved in that. Brian, you were involved in that. I was involved in that. Aaron was involved in that. Scott was involved in that. And as we spent time, we dug into it. We, we wanted to make sure that it was authentic because that's, that's what it has to be. Um, but it was also real and aspirational. I think as, as we continue to grow and whether we're an organization that is doing $20 million of revenue or we're doing, you know, $220 million of revenue as we look ahead into the future and, and where we want to be aspirationally speaking, it has to work the same. You know, that culture has to be the same in order for that to grow. And that's, that, that's the authentic piece. So, um, I think, uh, I think, you know, for, for us, that is, uh, that is 
at, at the at the core of of who we are. So we talk about being professional. Well, we we've defined what professional is. Um, we've talked about uh, being empathetic. Well, it doesn't matter how big you are. People want to know that that you can see the world through their eyes. Um, and I, I think I think as as we click down through all of that. Uh, you you really do see an authenticity around this building rooted in that, and um, it's it's uh, it's real, and it's and I think it's amazing to hear how many people say this place is a lot different than other places that I've worked. So many times, <clears throat> so many times that's come up. Yeah, and and I think it's you know I think it's about uh, a couple things. I, I and I think every single one of those. Uh, uh, core values is rooted in one aspect of, of somebody that says that, whether it's, you know, it's a professional environment in terms of what they see around, whether it's the fact that we're empathetic, there's a sense of gratitude or that there's a drive that we all have to achieve and accomplish something that's beyond ourselves and greater than ourselves. That stuff is, is really authentic here in, in everybody that we, have on our team at some aspect because it's what we hire around. We look for those, we look for those core values when we hire and you know what, if we don't have it and we can't develop it in someone, they get fired as a result of it. So it, it is, it is baked into the sauce in a way that, that is pretty, is pretty authentic. But, um, I, I just, I just love here. And I love when people say, and we, we usually do a core value training, with new employees and usually 12 to 13 people in the room. And I lead that training and I go down through our core values and, and, uh, I talk about, you know, the reason that we exist, which is to create, as you mentioned earlier, high dollar opportunities for our team. That is real. And when they kind of experience that and go do ride alongs as a part of their training program and spend some time with our trainers and hear what the employees are saying, they're like, that's real. You know, that's, that's not only words on a paper or something that I've heard, but that's who we are. And it, it shocks them in a way. And uh, that, I think, for me, is probably some of the most satisfying stuff I get out of those, those meetings, those core value meetings, because what it means is that it's authentic. It's a part of who we are. That's real culture. Well, it's one of those reality check moments, too, because you're faced with realizing that wow, there's actually a place that's like this at the same time that you're like, oh, I just worked in that other place for right. 10 years. Right. I could have been here. I, right. I could have been somewhere else. Right. And it, it's kind of one of those stark moments where you're faced with the regret of the past as well as the joy of the future. And, and you know, it, I think it shocks people in yeah, a lot of ways. It does. And I listen, there, there's a flip side to that. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that, but it's amazing. And I've been in that room during those core values trainings. And in about three or four weeks, people can flip on that because they realize it's real, but they don't realize what it is to exist in that culture. Right. You and, can't, you can't be, you can't be a part of the wall. You can't be a brick in the wall without being a brick. Like right. you, <laughs> that's the way that it's built. You know, right. you have to be part right. of it. You have to be part of it. And so what I found is when we're intentional about talking about that stuff, a lot of people like the thought of that until they live in that and they have to be a part of that and, and own it 
Otherwise, they remove themselves from the equation. And usually inside of four or five weeks during the, the training process, you'll find out if they can say one thing and we can vet them and we do a great job of doing that in the hire. But if they don't last, I mean, if they last more than five weeks, they're probably a pretty good fit. If, if they don't, it's uh, so that's, that's the beauty of being authentic. It's not uh, because I, I'm sure some people come in and say, Oh, this is great stuff. I've, I've heard this all before. We'll see what happens. Yeah. The facade. Right. Um, but uh, I've also heard people say, you know what? I don't, because guess what? If you want to be driven, there's accountability. That's a part of that. Mm. You know, if, if, if you want to, if you want to be professional, there's things that you're going to have to do in order to be professional. And it requires levels of accountability that people aren't prepared to embrace. And there's no faking it when you, when you have your 30 day review with us and I don't know, six people are sent a survey uh, based on each one of our core values to take on, you know, Matt Buckwalter, say you're, you're about to have your 30 day review. Well, six of us get a survey and fill out on a scale of one to three. Where is he at in professionalism? Where is he at in empathy? Where is he at in gratitude? Where is he at in drive? Right. And we're not taking that survey in front of you. Right. But we are going to have a conversation based around the score of that survey. And you also have to take that survey about yourself. And then we see where the average score lines up with what you think. And we have a conversation about it. That's exactly right. Conversation is you're doing great. Here are some places to improve. Here's what we appreciate about you. Or here are some places to improve. And here's the deadline. Yep. It's, it, it's, it's amazing to see how uh, individuals will react when they have to self-evaluate. That's always a fascinating thing to me. Well, Matt, before we uh, start nearing the end here, I did find the list that you had mentioned earlier, and um, it, it's actually Tall Paul Redman from the To The Point podcast. Uh, they had Terry Nicholson on their show, and then Tall Paul on Facebook, one of the... Uh, one of the uh, groups we're in together posted this list and it's, it is the crown champion list. I guess it was what the first list. Yeah, that's uh, I, what a great list, right? Would be like early two thousands. Uh, this would probably have been, yeah, early two thousands. My guess it would have been 2002, 2003. So and it's Jim Abrams, John Young, Terry Nicholson, Tom Hopkins, Carl Devaney, Lon Castle, and then yours truly, Matt Buckwell. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a that's an interesting. Uh, so, all of those individuals, with the exception of Tom, were employees of of uh, of Clockwork at the time, but they had all achieved in their uh, in their own worlds. And uh, so, technically, Ring Number Seven was the first one up to, up for grabs. So. Uh, I was uh, I was pretty pretty excited about that. That's awesome. So when you say the first one up for grabs, that ring was the first one grabbed by an actual equipment salesperson. That is correct. Well, by a comfort advisor when it was offered at the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, so and I think I achieved it. the The deal was the first one to a million that year uh, got the ring, and I think I got there at like I sold a million dollars of replacement uh, HVAC equipment. By September, I want to say like sixth or ninth or something like that. Nice. So it was roughly halfway through September of that year that I was able to do that. So uh, John Fletcher, I think, was shortly behind, but 
Uh, I think he was out of Omaha, Nebraska. Um, uh, John McCarthy's shop. Right on. Um, yeah. So such a good, uh, good memories. I'll have to, I have to break out that ring. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's the biggest, gaudiest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> so it looks like I won a Super Bowl, but, uh, it was kind of like winning a Super Bowl. Uh, maybe you'll be fun. the next James Bond. Yeah, that's true. Right? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I think they're looking. The 007. Now I'm, I'm, I'm a, certainly a Bond fan, fan of that <laughs> franchise. Well, Hey Matt, yeah. we're, we're going to bring things in, uh, for landing here. And as I uh, so appreciate you kind of sharing your story with us. I, I think there's so many nuggets along the way and, and things that you can even look back on now. Uh, so many times, you know, we, we go about living our life and we don't retrospectively look back on what has gotten us here. Yep. And I want to call attention to our listeners now who are most likely not sitting in the current chair that you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're coming to this podcast, they're hearing your story from all different angles. Some of them are on the phone. Some of them are in the field. Some of them are thinking of exiting the trades and they're kind of burned out as you were with sports. Uh, and others are looking for the next thing and, and they're trying to figure out if, you know, how can they grow and what that's going to look like. So if you can, if you had that mixed audience in front of you, you know, and you were giving the company meeting to, a hundred employees with all those different perspectives and roles. And you looked back across the course of your life and you would say, these are the things that have made the most difference in what got me from there to here. What would they be? You know, uh, what a great, uh, what, what a great way to tee it up, Nate. Uh, I think, listen, success and opportunities comes in the most unexpected packages. And I think that, uh, if you would, if you would know me and you would look at me, I'm probably the most unlikely guy that you would think that would find, or would be found maybe in the world that is the trades, mm. in terms of the 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 taste that I have, the lifestyle that I enjoy leading, and 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 the things that I do, you know, that uh, I'm not. Not too many I psychology mean, degrees in the trades not, either. No, I there's not out. too many psychology <laughs> degrees. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not a guy that, that, uh, there has never been a whole lot of dirt underneath my fingernails. <laughs> See that. Um, I don't mean that in a bad, I mean, I, I can be handy around the house and do the things that I do, but honestly, what I realized at a very early age is that the trades were not, uh, full of the MBA type guys, the, you know, the business guys. And I saw opportunity there. I saw opportunity to, to help create opportunity for people that are tremendously skilled at, with their hands and the ability to, to do stuff. Um, and so how can we create an opportunity in a place where they can get paid what they're worth at the end of the day? And, and I think we've done that here. We've really done that. We've created opportunity for individuals that are passionate about helping others and working with their hands to get paid with what they're worth, truly. Um, and I, and I, in, in, as a consequence, I was able to find a place that I could, you know, provide for my family in the process of doing that and, and fulfill a lot of my passion, which is like we talked about earlier, creating opportunities for others to, to be successful and to succeed. Um, and I, and I think that is, you know, there is no better place than, than this. There is no better place than this company. There's no better place than, 
than the trades to really be able to do that because we as a team believe wholeheartedly in, you know, the opportunity that we've all been given and want to continue to share that because as a result, all boats rise. And, um, so, and I, and I think the, the, the opportunities are limitless in our marketplace for that and are limitless across the country for that. Um, we just, uh, it's just about putting the right team of people together and, uh, and getting them to kind of all row in the same direction. And there's really nothing else that, that, that we can't accomplish that we set our mind to, to accomplish. I mean, listen, the last 20 years is proof of that. The next 20 will, will validate it as well. But the proof is in what we've accomplished over the last 20 years as an organization. It's been remarkable. Absolutely. And if I'm, I'm just thinking now that if I'm sitting in that audience and I'm saying, <clears throat> all right, yeah, yeah, Matt, I mean, it's easy for you to say now. It's easy for you to say that now. You know, you're, you're a, an owner of a multi-million dollar organization. Certainly uh, the Porsche outside indicates that, you know, you're not living on ramen anymore. Love my Porsche. <laughs> Why, you know, you and not me? What, what do you say to that? Listen, I, I think, um, you know, all of us have a story to tell. And there's, and there's good times and there's bad times. I mean, the, there is, there's challenges and there's, there's victories. I think, um, did I get lucky? Sure I did. Uh, was, was my luck as a result of a lot of, a ton of hard work? A hundred percent. I can give you, and if we want to drill down, I can give you probably, uh, several defining moments of opportunity in my, in my life. The, the biggest one that I attribute to where I am now is that providential. And I think it was providential. I think it was divinely appointed my meeting with, with, uh, with Larry Rohr at that house. I didn't know him. And there was no reason that I selected to rent that house other than it, it, it felt, it felt like it was the right thing. I didn't know who I was going to meet on the other end of that. That set my life in a motion and in a direction that, uh, it was completely turned on its head at that moment in time. And I, and I think as someone of faith, I think that that was a divinely appointed meeting. I don't know how else to describe it. And I think we all have those things in our lives that we can look at uh, and say, that was the, the moment that my life changed. And I think I've had a lot of great mentors before that. I've had a lot of great mentors since that. But that Larry saw something in me and invested in me in a way that uh, changed my life, changed the life of my kids, and probably will change the life of their kids. So it's that butterfly effect. We talk about that, you know. Um, but that was the, and there's been a ton of challenging times since then and a ton of great times since then. But as I look back in my life, that that was one of the moments that, professionally speaking, it just spun, you know, it, it completely turned it upside down on its head. And it, it was a really exciting, you know, going forward. But I got excited about, I could see the opportunity for the first time I was given the opportunity to grab a hold of something and to run with it. And so, you know, what would I say to the person that's listening to the podcast right now that's in the truck that's not sitting in my seat is you need to invest in every single day to, to uh, understand that 
it is it is one foot in front of the other in front of the other and there's going to be setbacks there's going to be challenges there's going to be wonderful victories um but you have to have a clear sense of where you're going and waste no day waste no day and and i and i honestly believe that you know you may fulfill all of those things within our organization if you're an employee of our company you may not but what i hope is that if when you're here when you're here um, you are a better person when you leave than when you came, that you're learning. That's why we invest in our training. That's why we do this podcast. It's to create better people because better people create better organizations. Better organizations serve customers better. They make more money too. <laughs> and that's kind of an important thing. It's not the reason we do it, but daggone it, we don't come to work for free. Right. We want to we want to make the most of these days, waste no day, waste no opportunity, because every day is a gift, and we're not assured of tomorrow. So, um, I think there's, I think there's a tremendous tremendous amount of of opportunity, even for those that are in our organization, but those who yet have not yet joined us. Um, for, I mean, we, we have great plans and that's a whole nother podcast to talk about what the future looks like for us, but it's, it's exciting. Um, I'm excited about it and, uh, stay tuned. <laughs> Such a good place to leave on there, Matt. And I, I think it's, it's indicative of you and the opportunity that was given to you that you now bestow upon others, mm -hmm. right? Like that, that's kind of the heritage that you're living in that, Larry and so many others gave you the opportunity and now you have chosen to plant that seed and harvest the fruit in yeah. giving opportunities to others. That's, that's a really cool place. Yep. It's, it, it is a cool place. I agree with you. I'm, I'm super excited about, uh, to, about where I am and about where we are. Awesome. Well, it's so good uh, to have you on the show today, Matt. It's been an honor to have you and to work with you over the past many years here. Thank you so much for joining us today and for the opportunities that you've given to both Brian and myself and countless others. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thanks, boss. Yep. Thanks. Hey, we really hope you enjoyed this interview with Matt. It was so good to hear from him and his story. And there's so much more there that I think we will explore in future podcasts. But for today's purposes, what we want to focus you on is the opportunities. What opportunities have you been granted and are you capitalizing on them? Are you making the most of them or are you kind of giving them the cold shoulder? Is there something right now that's been knocking on your door that you've been ignoring and the knocking is getting louder and louder and louder? What are you going to do with that? Others of you have already been granted opportunities and you've made a lot of those opportunities. And for you, we encourage you to then pass that on to bestow those opportunities to others who are looking for direction, who are looking for a place, who are looking for that ladder, you might say. Give them the opportunity that could be life-changing, that could actually alter the direction of their path, their future, and their family. And if you are in the position to create those opportunities, we encourage you that that is something that this trade, that this industry needs so badly, is more and more opportunities. And if you're one of the seekers of opportunities, don't give up. Keep pursuing. Keep choosing to look for more. Keep developing yourself into becoming a better version. Make sure that the you that you wake up today is better than the you that woke up yesterday. And as always, we encourage you when you do wake up to choose to waste no day.